Before we start today's podcast, we just wanted to take a minute and say a very special thank you to all of our patrons, but especially our Dragon Tier. Thank you so much, F. Sutton, Beth, Charles, Nicole, Kirsten. You guys are helping us make this happen, and we appreciate you all from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. Oh, God damn it. Wrong fucking <laughs> hey, start, start the music. That needs to be the opener start right the, there. Start the right music. Thank you. Please. I even have my glasses on this time. <laughs> you can do it. Old man. Stop. I said stop. Up your prescription. It's not, it doesn't want you to. It's like, this is the entire opener. All right, let's try that again. This is what our episode must be. Yeah, yeah, let's try this again. All right, are we going to do this now? This we're ready? Th- this are, is you go- are you guys done fucking around? No. Ready? Whoa. I'm scared. <laughs> You're being so, so angry. Just go ahead and start the music. What? Just start it. Why? Don't we have an opener? Don't have anything. Oh, oh, oh. And right here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Legend Lore. Spon- uh, fe- <laughs> produced by produced by <laughs> Strange New Worlds Productions. My name is Cody. Uh, directly in front of me, we have DM Osborne, and I'm Dungeon Master Rockfist, also known as John, and I'm Dungeon Master Mike, Dungeon Master Popatine, also known as Matthew. All right. So today I'll be kind of taking the the lead of directing our conversations because I don't do a yeah. whole lot hey, of dungeon can, mastering. Can you do that without making a bunch of noise, knocking your mic around? Punch the mic That's again. That's what I do. Fuck you, Mike. I just make Not noise. You, I tap tables. I fidget. I make weird voices sometimes during games. We love you the way you are. Thank you. So <laughs> uh, our topic today is how to start your campaign. And I've I've written a couple short stories. I've DM'd a couple one shots here and there, but I've never really done big campaigns or uh, sessions that have lasted longer than like maybe five or six uh, sessions together. So let's talk about that, guys. Any starting thoughts? Oh yeah, man. Um, well, I've you know, like you said, like you've written stories and you've done adventures. It's it's funny how there's like overlap between those two processes, right? Because you're literally starting out with a blank page and you've got to somehow create this narrative. And, and it's obviously two different animals because when you're writing a story, you have complete control over everything. Whereas when you're writing a, an adventure, whether it be a one shot, many, many adventure or, you know, camp start to a campaign, like you only have control as the dungeon master over like one third of that process, which is mm-hmm. just the actual adventure. Right. And, and then you have the dice, which are going to decide things. You have the players, which are going to do things you, you can't predict. So I, I think, I don't know, like when you guys, other guys can give an opinion on this, but I actually think it's in some ways more difficult to make an adventure from scratch than it is just to write a story or start a novel. That's how I feel. Uh, Let's talk to our, as somebody who has never written a novel, <laughs> I will say that writing an adventure is harder. <laughs> I would disagree because when I'm making up my homebrews, which has been all the campaigns I've ran, I actually anticipate party interference and I let I leave a bunch of blank space or dead space for you guys to fill because I know you're going to take something with it. You borderline encourage the players to do stuff like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I will create an idea or a concept or a, a, a location and it's like, what do you guys do? And this is the part where the players fight each other. And you guys... 
inspire me for what's going to happen later or in that session. I know exactly like, oh, you want to look for a shop that does this? Awesome. I'm really good at on the fly though like that. Mm -hmm. I think that someone more structured like Matt, you have all of what that encounter is going to be laid out and then player agency is within a little bit tighter of a reign. You know what's going to happen at the end of that session. So to speak to Matt's point, uh, as as a guy at the table who has written several novels, uh, I don't think the process is that much different. For me, the way I approach things is I have the overall story idea, of whether it's a one-shot adventure, multiple adventures, a campaign. I know the start. I know some middle parts. I know the end. It's just how you get there. That's a little different because we are talking about collective storytelling and we have player-free agency and we have the dice rolls. We have all these things going on. But when I start off, I literally start off with nothing in mind but what the overall plot is from point A to point C to point B, point B. Where did I go to school? You, I just said point A. C, no, no, no. That, that's C, how your B. adventures go. A to C to <laughs> yeah. B. Well, yeah, that's, well, that's where the that's, that's where the really that's funny. where the player free agency comes in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, not going absolutely. to B. I'm going to C first. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, I, Mike does kind of work like that, though. Uh, I remember when we were playing Champions of Boost, we were given some story that uh, the kingdom was being attacked by the cult of Desdemona or something like that. I think we were actually being sieged by another country. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. And where did we end up going? Didn't we like go to Boos's realm or did we, we went on some other direction, but we spent 30 minutes just arguing with each other about whether or not we were going to go to a or B and we ended up going somewhere else completely. And Mike had all that shit ready. Yep. Well, that's because I'd already pre-thought on everything. So even mm-hmm. even in, even the Dark King, what we're doing right now, even though you guys, when you your characters decided to go their separate ways, and all, all of you were, look a little like you came to a decision normally, naturally, because that's what your characters would do at that point in the story. But you kind of all at the end of the night, to me, when I looked around, you guys looked a little dejected. You were like, what, what, what are we going to do? How is this going to work? And I'm like, what did I say to you? I said, trust me, I have a mm-hmm. plan. Because I'd seen how you guys were playing things up to that point, and I realized this is going to happen. So I have to adjust my story. Just means I got to accelerate the timeline of my overall plot. And I'm fine with that. I do that all the time. There was things in, in the quest for boost where, yes, I did have a solid plot. I knew what was happening. I knew who the bad guys were. I knew all the behind the scenes information. It was all prepared. But you guys missed things all the time. But I, I just, at that point, I went, you know, if they get to it, they get to it. If they don't, they don't. But lo and behold, you guys all eventually on your own came back to all those plot points. You have to almost, as a DM that's doing, you know, a homebrew, right? Like you really do have to be willing to let your, um, those sacred things that you think are so essential to the story, um, maybe they don't show up in the adventure in the order you thought or in the way you thought that they would. Or at all. Or maybe at all, right? And, um, I think that that could be a difficult thing for a newer dungeon master. Of course, if you're a newer, newer dungeon master and you're trying to do a homebrew instead of a, a pre-made one shot or uh, something from Wizards, even um, you're probably are in some ways taking on a bit more of a challenge doing it that way. At least that's my opinion. You're but. gonna have a bad time, <laughs> <laughs> guys. All four of you have DM'd a lot, so how do your stories? get started where's like the seed of the story and how you how do you develop them wow that's that is a really good question because that is the age-old question is where do you get your creative thoughts for Mm -hmm. i don't know how many times as a writer i've had people ask me where'd you get your ideas from i'm like from my muse 
from the ether? I don't know. It, it, you know, it's just whatever, you know, sometimes for me, it'll be as simple of, of me saying, hey, I want to make, you know, I want to I want to play some D&D. Guys, make some characters. Hey, give me backstories. And then I'll read those backstories, and then that's where I develop the, the actual plot from. Mm-hmm. For me, I will say that the first memory I ever had was seeing Star Wars. And that's the first memory of your life. Well, not the first memory, the first movie. <laughs> oh, okay. He came yeah. out of the actually. Womb, I mean, Star it's, Wars it's just pretty close. The first, like, but not Christ. the first memory I remember. Because I mean, my my, I I don't know my first memory, but it is. It's still in my mind. That is one of the memories I remember when I was the youngest. Yeah, that I can remember. That explains a lot, bro. Well, you know. about you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I guess yeah. All joking aside, that's. I mean, when it comes to like Star Wars, it's you know the way that I'm doing it is I'm taking it from a perspective of. Uh, f- pulling all from all these pieces of Star Wars lore that I have mm-hmm. that I know about and building a campaign off of that. But then my characters have these little backstories that they want. And with that, I can fill in like little, little, you know, little, little nuggets of lore for them that they enjoy. Uh, you know, like with Keenan, uh, who just recently became a member of the Fett clan. Uh, got a, got a, yep. Uh, Represent. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. And I can make uh, Mike enjoy his, or live out his fantasy of flying a, uh, VH, uh, VCX 100, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I can have John go in there and be a Jedi. Oh, yeah. Or maybe not a Jedi, maybe something else. Don't forget my fantasy about choking out a hut with a chain. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, wasn't, I, wasn't in, I wasn't in the slave girl outfit, or but it was still no. pretty good. It was still pretty good. <laughs> mm-hmm. You didn't get that. Yeah, that's where, that's where you played Asian. Like, there was a slave girl outfit that Mike didn't put on. Right. I was like, come on, Mike. Get in the slave girl. And he, he said no. He, so. just, he just wouldn't go follow no, no, those, I, those I, well, well, I asked if I could wear my Rath Tar cowboy boots and my hat, and he said no. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well. Oh, by the way, this is a real-life Princess Leia outfit that we're, we're trying to get Mike to wear, and he didn't want to. All right, well, I'll, uh, to, to answer this question, I'll, I'll give a confession. Um, I do something maybe that nobody else at the table does. Um, most of the time, somewhere on my person, uh, usually in my backpack, um, I would wear a fanny pack, but my wife would divorce me. And I would, um, too. But uh, I, I carry with me a sketch notebook, and... I specifically buy a blank sketch notebook. It's not like a, you know, one of those 99 cent college ruled ones. It's like, it's like a $7. Like you would normally put sketches in, but the reason I do that is there's something about the blank page that when I sit down, whether it be at at lunch or having a coffee or just, you know, a break at work or whatever, um, I will sketch out whatever. It might be a picture. It might be a profile of a character. It might be, um, the, the, the plot points that I want something to hit. And a lot of the things I put in that notebook never come to life, but a lot of the stuff becomes the germ or the seed of an adventure or a homebrew of some kind. You're definitely touching on a good point because that's something that I, well, I don't, I do quite a bit. Just, I have a blank notebook. What are you? Well, I don't know doing, what's going man, on right now. I guess it's stuff. my uh, don't touch the cord. Maybe my mic's not plugged in all the way. I don't know. I thought you were a professional. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so I have I'll have like one of those little mini notebooks, mainly because it's not sketching stuff or something. Like I'll think of something when I'm working, or I'll think of something, and I'll be like, oh, you know, when I was didn't have this notebook, I'd be like, oh, I'll remember it later, and then I'll get it, and then I'll I'll get to the table to actually start working on my project, and I'll be like, I don't remember what that was. That was so cool. So now I have that little notebook. I pull it out and be like, oh man. They're totally going to fight this. Doesn't it suck, too? You never remember the specific idea, but you remember how good the idea was? Yes. That idea was so awesome. I just can't remember what it was. Yeah, I'm a, note, I'm a notebook keeper, too. I always have, like, a, but mine's a little different. I don't have the blank. I have, literally have the college rule, you know, um, 
spiral bind notebook, and I take a lot of notes after thinking about things for a long time. Because I know, especially if I'm laying in bed at night, which I often do, it's kind of my, my mantra, kind of my, my, my zen moment as I'm laying in bed and thinking about whatever, either if it's a novel or a short story, what that's going to be, or if it's a game, what that's going to be. And then I will think about that the next day. And I know if I don't write it down, I'll come back to that idea and I will lose something along the way. So I'm kind of a notebook keeper too. Maybe not, not in the way you are. It's a little different because I tend to, tend to think these things through quite a bit before I even commit anything to paper. Or, or on on like a digital file because I'm not that old. I do use my laptop. So I don't take a whole lot of notes. I do... I've. The weird way to word it is inspiration is what inspires me. So when I see something that I like, that's what it is. So all of, I consume a lot of media through TV shows and movies and books and comics and music. So when I find the themes or the, the character tropes or monsters or any idea or like some amalgamation thereof, I take that and I try to make it my own. I don't directly rip anything, but... I incorporate that into my game or I can use maybe a subplot of a show as the main plot and what I use. I, th- I find the things that I enjoy is what I always find falling into my campaign ideas and villains and monsters and such. I like that you said trope a second ago because that's what I do a lot of the times when I'm trying to think of a character concept or when I am DMing for a one shot or something like that. I do a lot of stuff on... Um, I can't remember the name of it. It's like trope.tv or something yeah, like absolutely. that. Yeah, absolutely. They talk about everything that's ever been a trope. Every kind of media out there. And then they give examples of it. And I, like, I always like to go to the anime section of those examples. Yeah. A lot and of great ideas, for fantasy. See there. if I recognize I will check this animes. out. I've never seen this. It's fantastic. I, I will say one thing, though, just on that note, because this is great advice for anybody listening. And uh, I, I credit Mr. Uh, Dungeon Master Mike here for this one. Because there, I think all of us at the table at some point have been creating something or writing something and, and said something to this effect to Mike of like, oh, I just don't think it's original enough what I'm creating. And Mike, you always give great advice on that. Would you mind sharing that? There is nothing original under the sun. And that's not my advice. That came from, the hell said that? I can't remember now. I should know. I'm I, sure it's Gandhi. I used to know that. But there, 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 it was well, one of the great, great writers who said that. Anyways. That there's goes no back su- to what you're saying, though. Yeah, there's, no such, there's no such thing as an original idea. Because everything that you see, hear, experience comes into play in your creativity. And that's going to include all the things you've seen that are movies, fiction, comics. Uh, I don't care what it is, a YouTube video. It's all going to be part of your influence. But what, what it is is how you take and interpret that. That's where the originality comes from. I, I think there's a weird overlap between uh, or comparison between writing and dungeon being, you know, being a dungeon master and cooking. Because <laughs> if you think about tropes as ingredients and not things that you're copying, and you think of the story you're creating as the meal, you can create something special and, and unique through your combination and the way you put it all together, right? Exactly. Your packaging is what really matters. How yeah. do you bind all of these ideas together? I really like what we're talking about here. And, and it reminded me of a thing that I saw. I saw it on TikTok of this girl talking about it. But uh, there's basically, you could take every single story in the world and you can narrow them down to these 36 situations or 36 plots and every single story is going to be in some variation or combination of these 36 types of stories. And it'll be things like um, pursuit or vengeance or uh, deliverance, uh, revolt, falling prey to cruelty, things like that. 
So I think that's another direction that maybe someone can find inspiration from. You can you can look at these these uh, thirty six plots, find movies or books that use them, and grab your inspiration from that. Uh, I think I don't remember who said it. Maybe Matt Colville, but uh, like steal stuff. Like <laughs> oh, right. it's D and D. Like unless you're <laughs> unless you're people like us and trying to make money off of it, like steal the hell out of everything you can find. Well, if you, it. if you think about it, man, I mean, if you look at, if you look at the history of like Marvel and, D- and DC, mm-hmm. they stole stuff from it, each other all the time. Oh yeah. That's true versus and, Deadpool. And, and that, and yeah, that, I was going to say that. <laughs> right. And by the way, that goes back to, to, to a little play on what I was saying about there's no such thing as an original idea is if you're going to steal, steal from the best. I like that. And then it's just all about how you interpret that and make it you, your own. Um, Look, my first novel, Hollywood Cowboys, was really my love letter to all of the horror movies that I grew up with in the 80s, right? Especially the vampire movies, werewolf movies, all that that kind of thing. So I took many of those ideas and then I put them through a filter and I thought, well, how have I not seen this done? And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And that and that way it becomes your own. But while I'm thinking about this, I had to I had to get on the googly machine for this because it was driving me nuts. It's Mark Twain who said, that. "Ah, there it is." Uh, of course, ah. like one of my favorite writers, and I couldn't think of who it was. Of course, that's awesome. My favorite Star Trek character. Mine too. Oh, oh really? Oh, see, Matt, I like, I could, I like Matt and I could literally just do nothing but podcast on Star Trek. I'm sure. So, but we we won't we won't Mark digress. Twain was in Star Trek. Heck yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. One of my fa- one of my favorite two part episodes. Times Arrow. Times Arrow. Part that's one cool. and part two. That makes me think of when Doctor Who went to go visit Van Gogh. Yes. And that was, I, I cried so much in that episode. That was a good episode. Oh, we, we digress. All right, so moving on. Uh, John had this one quote that he told me one time where people will go to a movie because of the hero character, especially like a superhero movie. But people will define whether that movie is good or bad based on how good the villain was. So let's talk about antagonists now. How do you guys develop your antagonist to help drive the story forward for the players? That's a good, that's a really good, good question and a good theme to be talking about. Um, so there's so many different ways that I approach villains and it really just depends on the story's needs. So the adventure's needs. So as, as we were talking about earlier, quest for boost didn't have a villain, so to speak. It had a competing party. Mm -hmm. So that's a little different than having your, your evil doing, monologuing big baddie who has no other motivations other than his pure evilness mm-hmm. that motivates him. And then there's the other type, which you guys have experienced before in my campaigns. Evil characters are not necessarily evil. They have motivations of their own. They just don't align with your motivations. And sometimes even you guys experience that and actually for quest for boost. And there was times when you, as you were going after the, uh, the lost souls of time, and you encountered a couple of them, like when you encountered my kind of John Carter guy on Mars, you realized he wasn't a bad guy whatsoever, that he was just really trying to save himself and save the woman he loved. And you ended up actually kind of, even though you killed him, you kind of ended up kind of taking pity on 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 the woman he loved and his companions and all those things because you realized he had motivations. And those are my favorite villains, by the way, to write. But they don't always fit the story. You always, it's got to be whatever fits the story. Mm-hmm. I agree entirely with that. That's what I was going to... I wanted to interrupt and say, but you already had said it, is what you do is you write a complex character, right? And then you use that complexity and where they are in their background, and then you make them not evil, but you you make them oppose the party. Mm-hmm. You find what is the opposition, not that they're bad, they're the antithesis of, like, what is the reason there's conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, like, 
I think John said this too, actually. I'm just taking all your I'm, stuff. I'm just quoting all kinds of shit over here. Yeah, well, you're so insightful. You're about so that. smart. But ah. vil- villains don't think, unless they're the, like Joker or something like that, villains don't think that they're the bad guys. No. They're the heroes of their own story. So I really like Quest for Boost when we were fighting against the Lost Souls of Time. They weren't bad guys. They just had an alternate ideology from us. And they had a, a different way that they wanted to shape the universe from what we did. And by the way, what they wanted well, to do wasn't actually bad. For a lot of people, it would have been better. If mm-hmm. if not most people, we were actually the ones who were trying to keep the status quo. Yeah. And <laughs> well, that involved suffering. Well, truly for truly for them, their 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 motivation was a very tragic one. You know? So and and I think I think all good villains do have a little bit of tragedy in them. You know, they they, they, they do have that well, they have to, to be relatable. Yeah, they have to be, you have to understand them a little bit. That doesn't mean that excuses their actions, that's for no. sure. I mean, you can relate to certain villains uh, very well, but you can't excuse the actions that they take to because of, of their motivation. Like Darth Vader is a great example of that. He's, uh, he's actually who I was just thinking of, too. He, yeah. He's someone who, I mean, assisted in the development of the Death Star, which blew up billions of people, mm-hmm. but out of order for the galaxy and him becoming Darth Vader out of love and wanting to protect people. There wasn't, it's, you could see the path of how he descended into being a bad person. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You know, I think there is a place though for that villain that is just like the murderous bad guy. But the, the challenge is that's if you're making an adventure and you have, you know, again, that, that villain, he's basically a monster, right? Like, like mm-hmm. psychologically, if you think about it, that person is so uh, unhuman in his behavior and motivations that he is monstrous, right? Mm-hmm. And that can have a place in an adventure because it gives your party something that they can just, without any guilt or any hesitation, just attack and go after. But if you want to create a campaign or adventure that's a little bit more complex and multi-layered, I think your antagonist has to be complex and multi-layered. And I, I think of um, Avengers is, a, is, is a, you know, all the Marvel stories are really good examples of that. Like they've, they've been pretty good at putting villains on the screen mm-hmm. that have motivations. You can, to y'all's point, can not necessarily agree with. Like nobody goes, yeah, Thanos, you uh, you did the right thing by wiping out half the population until you're stuck in traffic. And then you're like, actually, maybe Thanos was onto something here, right? <laughs> what about um, those dead cars in the road? <laughs> oh, that's true. Um, I didn't think about that. But, you know, I think they did a good job in those movies for the most part of, of showing you these villains that were complex or you at least could understand their motivations. I, I think, though, what's interesting about creating Dungeons & Dragons adventures or any tabletop adventure is it, there's not always a need for an antagonist per se, but there is always a need for some type of conflict for the players to to get engaged in. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes an antagonist is the easiest or best way to bring that conflict to a head. But, um, you know, we talk about tropes, and, and my background's in, in, I used to be an English teacher, right? And so, like, in a lot of writing, the conflict isn't always, uh, you know, protagonist versus antagonist. It could be, protagonist versus uh, environment, right? It can be protagonist versus, you know, other forces. And so, um, you know, when you're creating an adventure, you shouldn't feel like, oh, if I can't come up with a villain, this isn't going to be a good adventure. But you should definitely put effort into what is the conflict? What is the reason these heroes in this story, or anti-heroes, um, are, are really give a damn about what's happening in this world I've created? And that comes back to conflict. Yeah, and actually that, that goes back to some basic ideas too, thinking about that 
just I'm, I'm like thinking about if the beginning of uh, Indiana Jones and Raiders, Raiders Lost Ark was an actual just full story, there's no villain, there's no conflict, but there is the inanimate objects that try to kill him. That is literally the antagonist. We are on the edge of our seats because we know at any moment Indy could die. And even though we only just started watching this movie, we already like him because he's Harrison Ford. Right. We don't want him to die. <laughs> well, the antagonist is kind of himself, I would say, because if he didn't do anything, the Nazis still would be dead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe um, they would have got the Wonder Weapon. You never know. That's true. Maybe they would have. I think that to John's point, um, if you go to like the actual literary side of it, I think that I think that there's three types it can be, and it's it's versus something else, and it, or an antagonist, it's versus environment, and it's versus self. I think those are the three types of conflict you can have, whether it's your own nature, it's a volcano erupting, or if it's someone imposing on you, right? That's cool. You know what that makes me think of? Uh, mine and John's last session with Mike, actually. Oh, really? Well, I don't know anything uh, about that. I'll give you, secret, I'll give you so. a hint. It was very much uh, us versus ourselves. See, I like that because <laughs> I don't think that's expressed a lot in D&D, and that'd be a great way for you to do character development for as a DM, develop your player characters because mm-hmm. you could find that we, we have the edgelords, right? And if you put us in a circumstance that didn't allow us to be who we were by force, that makes us change and question and reflect on ourselves. That's a really important powerful way to develop a do you mean do you mean by like by the force of nature yes okay. yeah i will say to, to keenan's point like if you don't have the antagonist in your mind right when you make your key like you, you're writing your outline like when, you know when you take your outline you're saying okay they're gonna go here they're gonna go here obviously they're they're gonna skew way off whatever your outline is but you don't have to have that antagonist right away you don't have to know who that antagonist is you can develop that antagonist in your mind as the player characters do things um i will say right now i'm not gonna uh, spoil anything for the people at the table because we're there playing my Star Wars campaign. But, you know, I didn't know who the antagonist would be, and I have slowly kind of hinted at who it could be. Uh, but, you know, there's always a possibility that I'm I'm basically tuning it off of my players. I'm tuning off what their beliefs are in because, you know, at the end of the day, they could all be edgelords, and they get to a point where they meet the antagonist and be like, actually, you're we're going to go with you. And you know, that that's a whole different campaign and that could be great, but pretty cool dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then there's no antagonist and now they take over the galaxy and it's over. <laughs> and that actually wraps back around to what I first began to say is that sometimes I don't even have an idea of the overall plot until I've seen your characters and seen your backstories. And Matt has done a really good job of running off of everybody's backstories right now uh, to, and while he was doing that and taking care of our characters individually, in our storylines individually, he was in the background developing what the real big bad is. Or so you think. <laughs> uh, I want to come back around to something because it just kind of seems like fun. Uh, I want to think of examples from uh, books or movies of antagonists that you have no qualms just going in there and, and bashing their brains out. Or because you know, they're they're the bad guy, they are defined as the bad guy, and then I want to try to do that again with more complex antagonists. Sure, sure, absolutely. And 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 by the way, that, that actually brings me back to something that John had said earlier too that I wanted to touch on was the great thing about having a campaign setting as opposed to like one shot or multiple shot adventures. It gives you as a creator the ability to have both of those kind of antagonists, Ooh, yeah. or all three, to have the mm-hmm. force of nature antagonist, to have the players against themselves, to have the person opposing them who might be a maniacal killer that you, you're, and, and your guys are going to, your players are going to get just a, a joy out of crushing. 
And then, like you can, and then you can have that complex guy too with a lot of background and a lot of story and a lot of pathos. It seems like it'd be a lot of fun to have a campaign going on and like all the lower levels of the game, uh, bad guys are straight up bad guys. Like crush them to death. Do whatever you want to have to do. Whatever you have to do to kill them. And then as you get closer and closer to the end of your campaign, the bad guys get a little bit more complex, a little bit more like, is he really that bad? Yeah. But Keenan, you had a point? Oh, you had asked, mm-hmm. who do you have no problems just like, doing away with yeah um the joker absolutely and specifically basically any one of batman's foes and i just take problem with his like oh if i i can't stoop to their level it's like no no no. the joker gets out and continues to kill hundreds of people every time so just stop him now like just (laughs) just end that and then deal with another threat because if you think about it really batman's whole uh, whole thing about oh i can't stoop to their level has cost so many lives. Yeah, I'd be like, if, it, if you know, if my family member was killed by Jerry, like, thanks, Batman. It's the third time he's been out of prison. I disagree. It's what makes him a hero. They uh, <laughs> they cover that topic in Batman the White Knight and then the sequel, which I forget the name of it. But uh, it's such a good comic book because they, they talk about that very thing. And then it ends up being that there's this huge fund of money that goes into the city just to fix all the Collateral. things that Batman breaks while yeah. he's trying to chase down villains. I, I, I look, there's a rule in, in fiction that it's always okay to kill Nazis, <laughs> right? It's true. This and, is true. And what's interesting about that is that, you know, we now know at, at right here and now that Nazis are evil and wrong and should get their asses handed to them, right? Mm-hmm. But at the time, there were a lot of people in Germany who – it was just a political party, and a lot of them didn't know what they were signing up for when they supported it. And so I think there's a certain thing about evil that it can be very um, deceptive in, in, in showing its true face, showing what it actually is, right? But yes. but if you can establish for your characters that this enemy they're facing, whatever it is, are basically the immoral equivalent of Nazis, then they're not going to have a problem kicking their ass, right? And what's been really cool, um, I get a little excited talking about this because I think it's really actually, because just like all forms of art evolves, uh, literature and writing and story creation, it evolves, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you look back at the father of fantasy, Tolkien, and you look at the antagonist of Lord of the Rings, right? You got Sauron. That dude is just evil. He's just an evil asshole who has a big eye that watches everybody. And yes, I know if you read Similarian and a bunch of other stuff, you probably get more, uh, you know, color to him. But when you read the well, actual well, original so trilogy, Matt, when you say that, I'm not mad at Matt. I love Matt. Um, but <laughs> when you when you read that original trilogy, he is presented as just the big bad evil guy that must be stopped, right? And so in that sense, he's one dimensional, and you root for the heroes to just stop this guy, right? But as time has gone on, we have gotten more and more comfortable with the idea that villains can be complex and have mo- different motivations. And Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy fiction in general brings this really cool element to it where you're actually not talking about another human being that has motivations and things that might make him evil. You actually have a different, like, a species, a different, like, this person is a uh, an orc or a dragon or one of these other, or... You could have something like devils and demons that are just like literally says under alignment, chaotic, evil, lawful, evil. They are they are truly evil. Right. Um, And I think that is a sort of a nuance that we've evolved into. Um, But I think there's a place for just that straight up evil guy that or evil enemy that you just want to stop. Right. Yeah, Yeah. there absolutely is a, a place for them both. I think that it's. 
the development of villains and antagonists has come out of a necessity and a want from the reader because it's nobody villain of the week shows are no longer a thing unless they're for children because it's easy to understand but no one wants to have a one-dimensional character in a show at all even a side character is really boring if it's just like i'm the taxi driver and that's all i do like they write in his family write in a motivation to be such like we want that we want that from our villains especially if someone's getting a lot of screen time or, or word time on a book we want to understand them more we want to be able to identify a piece of us in them we we tr- like humans want that it's how we make relations even if it's a bad one it's something that we can identify with right or wrong and flesh them out as an actual living breathing entity even though they were fiction well i think that comes from modern psychology and we as human beings understanding ourselves a little better and so we begin to understand motivations a little better that's a great point um but at the same time modern psychology and 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 knowing that yes that maybe this person has these motivations doesn't not necessarily always make them relatable can be maybe possibly but it's hard to relate to say the psychopath who murders people because he was abused as a child. You still, you, you still you can see why. You Maybe see, you, you can see not that why. You can relate, but you can but, form a relationship can why. to why yeah. that had happened. Yes. Yes. There, yet, yet there are still those complex villains that you can actually identify with as well. Yes. So, what's a villain that you have no qualms of just crushing Ooh. from a movie or a book or whatever? So many. Well, I think about villains. Let me put put it this way. I think about villains that I would have no qualms crushing, and then I change my opinion about sometimes too. Because there's <laughs> been villains where I have had no qualms crushing because the writing's been so good that I didn't see something, and then later on you get revealed that, like Jamie from uh, from uh, Song of Fire and Ice. Yeah, like That's Jamie at first, he begins out as such a oh yeah, season one. Jamie's a dick. Yeah, well, I'm talking about the book, so sorry. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be that guy. I read the, I read the <laughs> I book. I hated the, Jamie. Jamie was like a yeah, horrible you, person. But you, but you, but I hate you hated the dude. You hated the dude. You hated the dude. And then all of a sudden you realize, holy shit, this guy's actually a really good dude. He is just bad, bad circumstances because of his family and because and of things that have happened around him and things he's been blamed for that really aren't his fault. Uh, but to go back to Cody, sorry, I don't know why I, I, digress, I digress, but to go back, <laughs> I, I'm doing a lot of that today. But going back to to your, 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 your thinking, oh, I'm sure there's plenty. I mean, just, going back to uh, Song of Ice and Fire, yeah. uh, the, the king's son, What's his Joffrey. face? Joffrey. Joffrey. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah that absolutely. Kid, to the guillotine. Yeah, that kid needed to die, like, the first time his name was mentioned yeah. in the book. Yeah. Page one, you're like, yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely, I, villain. I wanted to see crushed from the very beginning. I hear the actor that played him is, like, the nicest dude. Oh, I'm sure it's oh, like, You yeah. have to yeah. be. And then They're people sure will meet sweet. him in the street and be like, screw you, Joffrey. And he's I, like, hey, you want my autograph? <laughs> I remember, like, uh, yeah. I remember reading this interview. It was like after that episode was posted, someone walked up to him and was like, so how does it feel to be the most hated person in America right now? Yeah, he <laughs> was for a long time there. Um, I Look, man, I think I, I, there's so many examples of that. But um, Give us one. Well, I'm about to. Um, no, there's too much pressure. Voldemort is a great example because Voldemort was basically magical Hitler. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. And, and, and unlike someone like Darth Vader, who you eventually kind of identify with his path and what may have gone wrong with him and all that, and there is a degree of sympathy, even in the original trilogy with him getting redeemed at the end, right, with Luke, um, you don't get any of that with Voldemort. That dude is just an evil asshole that should be stopped, you know? And we learned about five minutes ago, it's always okay to kill Nazis. Yeah, Got that's it. true. So, so, anyways, to go, go back to your question. So, since I never really answered it, 
one guy that comes to mind, which is funny because he is a complex villain that some people do personally uh, uh, identify with, and that was Shane on The Walking Dead. Oh, Lots good of people identified with him and his motivations. He's very human. He's very human. But the things he does, to me, were so reprehensible. Yes. when he shoots but, the guy in the leg and runs Yeah, when he him, like, shoots the guy in the leg, you know. I mean, everything he did, just lying to, to uh, what, I forgot her Rick. name was. Uh, oh, uh, lying to his wife, uh, Lori. Lori, uh, yeah. Lying to her about Rick. I mean, everything he did was selfishly motivated. It really was. It was super self- selfishly motivated. And I guess, and not that I'm, not that I'm saying that I am 100% altruistic. I'm not a paladin, as you all well know. But. Something happened. By the time that guy got to his reckoning, I was like, oh, hell yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. Put a bullet in him. Oh, and he turned into a zombie, too? Yeah, put another bullet in him. <laughs> <laughs> My wife, on the other hand, because he was so good looking. Oh, Shane, Shane, Shane. <laughs> I would like to put on record also, Con! Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, I don't know, no, man. I no, love Con. He's a good character. Well, he's a great Great exam- guy. Yeah, he used to have a beer. He's not them. a great puts guy. The, puts the worm no. bugs in people's heads. He was no. literally, he was literally, a, he was literally, literally a, a genocidal maniac. Yes. I don't, I don't know. Well, but he's a great example. He's a great character. But, but actually, Mike. Con, Con was chill as hell. He is a great example of what you were talking about earlier, where it's not so much that he's evil, it's just that his motivations are so antithetical to what the protagonist's motivations are. He was looking out for his crew and his people, yeah. and that was his whole motivation. Um, yeah, I think it's possible to actually really want to kick an enemy's ass, but then you also still do kind of admire them a little bit. And that might be the sweet spot for the really fun villains to fight in mm-hmm. a tabletop. I bet you guys don't know what mine is. Uh, Palpatine? Yeah, it's Palpatine. Yeah. No, it's not. no, you're all wrong. It's, Wait, Gan- no, no, no. it's Ganondorf. From Legend of Zelda. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just one. kidding. It's Palpatine. <laughs> but Ganondorf is a good one, though. Like, he I don't really know a whole evil. lot about Ganondorf's lore, but he seems just Every like a generically has a evil dude. One. Yeah. He's pretty much yeah. always ultimate evil. You know, so switch back to D&D real quick, then. We've talked a lot about villains. We haven't talked about one of our favorites, the Special John's Lord Strahd. Oh, yeah. Mm. He's a complex villain. He's yeah. a complex villain. Well, I guess... Depending on the iteration. Uh, depending on the iteration, but I'm pretty sure even... Most iterations paint him complex. It's very if tragic. Not, if not somewhat poorly complex. I, look, I you know, we're going to do, I think, a whole episode on Strahd at some point. But I, I will tell you, uh, as the guy who's probably run the most Curse of Strahd stuff, um, and, and I am a Strahd fanboy, there is this online thing happening right now where people like to just call Strahd uh, a simp, you know, because mm-hmm. he's just simping for Irina. That's the whole thing. He's, oh, this guy's so sad. He's just a simp. That is such a mistreatment of the complexity of the character, which, hey, if you want to do that for your campaign, rock on, dude. You can make him a simp and whatever. But for me, you know, this is a guy that has really crazy motivations um, that, that are centuries old. And uh, there's elements of him that are pure evil. He is a vampire after all. Um, and then there's elements of him that are really relatable. And uh, I, what I've liked about running different parties through Curse of Strahd is those roller coaster up and down opinions the players develop about Strahd where they're they go from like screw this guy we gotta stop him to like well maybe we should work with him to oh no he's gotta be stopped you know it's just it's just back and forth the whole campaign yeah so uh just just for a moment uh if you are one of those listeners out there that thinks Strahd is a simp I'm about to alienate you what are you thinking that's literally a one of the most classic tropes I mean that's that's a straight from Bram Stoker's Dracula that's driven by pure love. There's nothing simple about pure love. 
He's simping, bro. I don't, no. know. <laughs> but, I don't know about but, that one, Chief. But. but no, there is nothing simping about that. But going back to what you were just saying, though, John, here's the thing, man. There was never one point in Curse of Strahd where I thought, like, hey, we should work with this guy. There was points where I said, hey, let's make him think we're working with him. True. Yeah, yeah we, but we always knew, especially with your character dynamic with Irina, you knew that when the backstory you had more than we did, that he was, what he was doing and what was happening in the land was evil. Oh, yeah. And therefore, yeah. we knew that we had to stop that. Yeah, and, def- and definitely Chauvin, at least at that time as he entered Barovia, was definitely not a white knight, but he was definitely very, I can't remember, what was my lima? My lima was cat good at that time, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Moving on to complex villains. I already have one. I think you guys are going to love it. Dr. Evil. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I make you horny. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, doc- so, like, uh, the, gosh, I wish I could remember it. But, like, Dr. Evil is almost just, like, wants to be loved and popular with people. Even though he's evil. <laughs> Even though he's, he's, he's super, he's super evil. And he wants so much money. But, like, it's almost like he does the evil stuff just because he thinks he's supposed to be. Like, that's the role that he was Well, he was into. raised by two evil Dutch parents, mm-hmm. and they took him to evil school. One was a, I think one was, like, a Romanian gypsy. Something. Was, like, was it, was it like evil a duck school? Footed or a webbed-footed Aust- Austin gypsy. Powers went to that same school. No, it was a spy school. Oh, is that it what was it was? School. Okay, and okay. And he spy won top, he won tw- top, or he had top <laughs> grades, but he lost to Austin Powers as, like, honor <laughs> student, basically. Mm-hmm. What is that called, though? The valid Victorian? Valid Victorian. Yeah, Austin yeah. Powers he was like got it, but it should have been Dr. Evil, so he turned to being evil. He, <laughs> well, well, and I, he's the definition of a trope. Like, he, they take all of the Bond villains and made him a character right. sillily. And same with Austin Powers. That movie is a great representation of what tropes are, because every character in that plays a trope. Like, oh, absolutely. To the T, they're hysterically a trope. Uh, Austin Powers ruined James Bond movies for... Like a long time. That's why it took so long for another James Bond movie to come out. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, what's that guy's name? Is it Daniel Craig? Is that his name? Uh, yeah. 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 So Daniel Craig had an interview and uh, they asked him, why is your movie so serious compared to other James Bond movies? He's like, well, Austin Powers kind of ruined James Bond. Yeah, made fun of all of the so. tropes we had done for 40 years. and mm-hmm. Just took him <laughs> to such a degree yeah. that they couldn't do those classic Bond tropes. Yep. Absolutely. Well, well, I think, uh, I mean, do you guys think yet when you make an adventure, does the length of the planned adventure affect the antagonist that you develop? Like, I would keep, I typically keep things pretty open-ended because I think you should develop the end and then how they get to the end is a winding road and a maze. I'm actually, oh, I'm actually would be, I'm, I'm on the different side of, I like to make the beginning and then not know kind of, I like, I have an idea, like a little sliver of an idea what I want to do, but I like to see where the players go to get to the, like to, to make an end of what the, what the, like, like that whole process of me building a villain as you guys are playing is kind of at the end, then you fight that villain. But I didn't know kind of where that's going to all come to a climax at the end. I kind of like that little of a mystery to me. And then eventually, you know, I'll find out what it is, but not knowing, um, I really enjoy that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always have an end point. Like I said, I always plot everything from the beginning to end. What's what the major plot points on everything, but the major plot points, I kind of know where the ending's coming. Doesn't necessarily mean I know how it's going to get there. Doesn't necessarily mean, especially in a campaign setting, that the ending's not going to change as it's affected by what the players are doing. Absolutely. Because there's been many times where I was sure, like, 
all, I mean, deep into campaign, like, oh, wow, it just seems like it's going here. And then all of a sudden players do some things that kind of take it in another direction. And I alter, alter the ending for that direction. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. Be flexible. Always be flexible. Yeah. And you're writing, especially with the story. This kind of sounds like stuff of uh, how do you handle when player agency takes over the story and throws it in a completely different direction or maybe even bad dice rolls or really great dice rolls uh, changing how your story uh, develops out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that has a lot to do with that. And it's definitely something we're going to be covering on an upcoming podcast as well. I would say tied to what we've been talking about this, this episode though, like when you do sit down to make your adventure or your campaign or whatever, um, it's okay to have gaps and blanks. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people think, Oh, I've got to plan every single eventuality out. And it's like, don't even try to do that. Like you, first of all, you can't, but second of all, you'll literally burn out and stop writing because it's such an impossible task. I, I love what you guys are saying. Like have a beginning, have a middle, have an end in mind, maybe bake a couple different, you know, alternative endings or middles in there. Uh, and then maybe spice it up with an antagonist that that's compelling and then I think you're on your way to a really good homebrew adventure. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're doing a single shot adventure in particular, don't try to over plan for everything. Just have, you just have to have the basics of that one shot adventure and knowing that things are going to change by what happens with the dice rolls, what happens with the characters, and then just to be, be ready to adapt to that. You don't have to overthink everything and have a course of action for, you know, every possible thing that could happen because you just don't know what's going to happen. And that's true in campaigns too, but I think in a one-shot adventures and mini adventures, it's even better to not overplan things. Be prepared to be reactionary to what the players do and the dice do. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of improv, mm -hmm. for sure. That's kind of like our show, a lot of improv. It is. Yeah. It's a skill you develop too, <laughs> is, is if any new DMs are listening, it's a skill you develop and being able to be prepared or prepare better for your party and to react better is something you'll develop as you do it. So don't lose hope if you had a bad reaction to something when your characters or what the dice did sometimes just think about it and grow cool. absolutely anything else to close us out there i think we're good yeah Are i we? think we're good this was a good discussion <laughs> i enjoyed I, this i had fun yeah me too me too yeah, absolutely it's it okay <laughs> it, it <laughs> hate you so much i feel like i sounded like super interviewee though did you know? you did it was uncomfortable for me yeah. i'd like to talk to the hr of strange new worlds when we're done is yeah, that yeah. is that you mike I, uh, no, no I, I think that's actually key oh yeah you you harassed too many of the employees to be the go HR. ahead and uh, step into my office john <laughs> oh god all right if you guys have liked what you've heard here hanging with us today please drop on by snwproductions.com and check out what we got there our blogs our downloadable content uh, check out our Patreon page if you want to help support us. Keep bringing you good content, both on our website and both through this and through these blogs. Uh, and thanks for hanging with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody.